Father God, that is our prayer. God, you have done great things. God, you are greater than all. And Father, we pray, Lord, as we lift our spirits up to you, Lord, as we lift our praises up to you, Lord, that you would accept. Lord, that you would accept our praises. And Father, as we, as you prepare our hearts for the message today, Lord, may we recognize that you are greater than all. Lord, that you have made a stand. And Lord, that your love awakens us. So Father, we commit this time to you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you have done. In your mighty and wonderful name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Oh, just fabulous. Of course, the pastor that doesn't have to preach says, I'm doing great. (laughs) Well, welcome back to our sermon series, Who Told You That? Uh, We've been addressing some of the common misconceptions and myths uh, regarding Christianity and our faith. Uh, And if you were here from the beginning, you'll remember, and those of you who weren't, the first sermon that we went over was I need to have my life together to be at church. Uh, That is obvious a myth. Otherwise, none of us would be here, right? (laughs) Right. Uh, The second one is God won't give you more than you can handle. And this one's fairly obvious. Every day we seem fairly overwhelmed, right? Uh, And last week was uh, a difficult one. Uh, Just follow your heart. And as you might have noticed, as we've been going through the sermon series, it's been getting just a little bit more and more and more personal. And sometimes that's a little bit like, okay, no, you can stop talking now. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear what you have to say. We are personal creatures. Like, we, we like our space. And so, to kind of illustrate this point, uh, I'm going to ask Uh, I'm going to ask a few things, or I'm going to make a few statements, and uh, if you're willing to share these things, then you can go ahead and raise your hand. So the first thing that we we tend to need to share is maybe uh, a room. Like, if you're staying overnight somewhere, are you willing to share a room with someone? Okay, some of us are a little bit out of our comfort zone. I don't think I want to share a room. Okay, well, let's see how far this rabbit trail goes. Okay, Uh, are you willing to share your shoes with someone? Okay, yeah, some of you have worn someone else's shoes. Okay, okay. Uh, What about, are you willing to share your deodorant with someone else? Okay, so we still got some brave souls. Okay, you know, I, I was hoping I wouldn't have to resort to this one, but how many of you would be willing to share your toothbrush? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. I should not have seen hands there. Okay, yes, I did ask, but I was hoping that you guys had a little bit of, like, privacy. (laughs) 
Okay, that's fair. That's fair. You know, it's fair to say that we are private creatures. And uh, it's fair to say that we are private creatures. And uh, I heard a story of a, a lady that realized just how private some of her activities are uh, when she decided she was going to go camping. Uh, she wanted to write a letter to a campground host, and in it she just wanted to know uh, what kind of facilities this campground had. Uh, specifically, whether this campground had a bathroom, had restrooms. And so this lady was a bit old-fashioned, and so she just could not bring herself to write down the word toilet. <laughs> and so she, she decided, I'm going to use the word water closet. That's, that's, that's good. Uh, but as she was writing it, it really, like, she just could not bring herself to write down water closet in her letter. So she simply referred to it as the WC. So in her letter, she states, does your campground have a WC on site? So she mails this off, and uh, the campground host gets this letter, and he is puzzled by this WC business. He can't for the life of him figure out what does this mean. So he's asking all of the campground attendees. He goes to the next town over, and he's like, what in the world is the WC? And the, the conclusion that they all come to is that the WC she is referring to is the Wesleyan Church. <laughs> and so he wrote, sits down to write a reply to her, and this is what he wrote. Dear Madam, I regret very much the delay in answering your letter, but I now take pleasure in the informing you that a WC is located nine miles north of the campground and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit it is quite a distance away if you are in the habit of going regularly. But, no doubt, you will be pleased to know that a great number of people take their lunches along and make a day of it. They usually arrive early and stay late. It is such a beautiful facility and the acoustics are marvelous. Even the normal delivery sounds can be heard outside. The last time my wife and I went was six years ago and it was so crowded I had to stand up the whole time we were there. I would like to say it pains me very much not to be able to go more regularly, but it surely is no lack of desire on my part. As we grow old, it seems to be more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you do decide to come down to our campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time you go, sit with you, and introduce you to all the other folks. Remember, this is a friendly community. Sincerely, campground owner. How many of you guys would share a bathroom? Yeah, no, I'm not seeing any hands. I would rather not. Some things are clearly a personal matter, right? In fact, some of the things we've discussed so far in this sermon series, you've probably found to be very personal so far. But the question, as we wrap up this sermon series, the final question I have to ask you is, should our faith, be personal. Today we are going to be unpacking my faith is my business or my faith is a personal matter. And, you know, this seems like a very hard question to navigate. You see, because if we ask culture and society what part of our faith should be private, if we ask them what should I share 
or what should I keep hidden, society and culture would tell you, keep all of it hidden. Your faith is your faith. What you believe is what you believe. And you dare not challenge someone else's faith. You dare not speak up about yours lest you offend someone else. You see, we tend to treat faith like underwear. That's weird. You see, it says a lot about us. We don't want someone else's. And we hide it under more culturally acceptable things to be seen. So, the question I have for you guys today is, when was the last time someone saw yours? Your faith, not your underwear. Please. Just your faith. When was the last time someone saw your faith? Now, look. I want you guys to hear this. Uh, This sermon is not meant to guilt you guys. Because the last thing I want you guys to feel is guilty over whether or not you have shared your faith. Every time a preacher comes up here and says, you need to be sharing your faith, there's always a sense of guilt. And believe me, I hate that feeling. That is not the point of today's sermon. But the point of today's sermon is to create in you a heart. A heart that breaks. Breaks that not enough people share their faith. And perhaps not that I share my faith. You see, our relationship with Jesus should change everything we do publicly. Not just publicly, but just everything we do. You see, it should affect the way we operate. It's the way we do business. It should affect our parenting. It should affect our relationships at work and at home. It should affect how we spend our money, how we spend our free time, everything. Our faith should be the cornerstone of how we operate. But for whatever, re- whatever reason, what ends up happening is that we get the feeling that our faith just ends up being something you don't talk about. You see, it's gotten thrown into the same conversation faux pas as politics. And some people would rather talk about politics than faith. But what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, I hope you're prepared. And uh, we're going to be going all throughout the Scripture today, so we're not going to land in any one spot in particular. So we'll have the words up here, but I want to make sure that if you do not have a Bible at home, raise your hand, and we will put a Bible in your hands. And you can keep this Bible. It is our gift to you. But we're going to be starting in the book of Luke, It's chapter 9, verse 26. It says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. These are scathing words. When I read this, I I cringe a little bit. What am I doing? And this brings about the first truth about our faith. And that is, if I don't speak up about my faith, my faith won't speak up for me before God. You see, we're so afraid to speak up because of the implications that it might have. It's socially unacceptable to talk about Christ. So we don't. I mean, who can blame us, though? You look at the news, and uh, 
Christianity doesn't have the greatest reputation. You see with churches out there that picket inappropriate things, with with big Christian leaders going out there and doing things that are counter to what the Bible says, I mean, it's hard. We become afraid to share our faith because we don't want to be lumped in with them. We don't want to be seen as someone that is intolerant. We don't want to be seen as someone that, well, I just don't like you because of the choices you make. And we have let a a world influenced by Satan bully us into submission over when it's okay to talk about God. And we've all heard the the, uh, old phrase, all it takes for evil to win is for good men to stand by and do nothing. Now, I've had this conversation with many people over the years, and the one argument that I hear people say is, I'm not afraid of my faith. Trust me, I'm not afraid. I just don't have an opportunity to talk about it. And my response is almost always, that's, that's your defense? You're going to make your defense? I, I really don't think that if you stand before God and say, God, I just didn't have an opportunity to talk about it, I really don't think that how it's going to play out is, he says, oh, my bad, we're good. I didn't realize I didn't give you enough opportunities. You see, God doesn't buy our excuses. He doesn't buy our excuses for why we don't share our faith. Excuses like I'm being paid to work, not evangelize. Excuses like I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or I don't have enough time. Or what will they think of me? Or my personal favorite, it wouldn't be appropriate. So my question is, when is it appropriate? Or when is it inappropriate to talk about the creator of the universe? When is it inappropriate to talk about the one who gives us strength? When is it inappropriate to to talk about the one who comforts us when no one else can? The one who blesses us with grace and mercy when no one else will? Let me tell you, according to this verse, never. It is never inappropriate to talk about God, the creator of everything, the comforter of the weary. My God is appropriate in every relationship, every moment, and holds the answer to every situation in our lives. You see, God wants us to speak up for our faith because doing so saves lives. Faith transforms relationships. Faith draws us closer to a God that loves us so deeply that He was willing to take on flesh and die on a sinner's cross just so he could be with his creation again, like it was back at the beginning. You see, God never meant for us to go through life alone. God's whole plan was to be and live among his creation. You see, there's never a moment where God finds it inappropriate, or finds it appropriate, excuse me, for us to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You see, God is a God of relationship. He saw that Adam needed 
fellowship. He saw that Adam could not navigate life alone. And this is why we as a church navigate life together. You see, it's our faith that declares that we are not alone. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? You see, we are not alone. And God wants us to declare this. And this is what brings us to the second truth about our faith. And that is my faith should be inclusive to all, not exclusive to me. You see, faith is not exclusive. It is not limited to those that come within these four walls. Rather, faith is an inclusive action. Meaning, no matter where we go, my faith goes with me. This means we navigate life together with our friends, with our family, with the cashier, with the waitress, with everyone God places in our lives, and even the people that claim, I can't, I'm never going to set foot in a church. You see, we've, heard, we've probably heard someone say, I'm never going to set foot in a church because of what it did to me. And I want to take a moment to address this statement. This is like saying, I was burned by the last doctor that I went and saw. So I'm never going to see a doctor again. I'm just going to stay at home and take care of, my, take care of myself. But how, as, how can we as Christians let people refuse the treatment that God has given us? How can we refuse to allow God to navigate life with us? How can we refuse to let someone else do that? You see, God never meant for us to be alone. In the garden, God saw Adam's need for a relationship. And instead of telling Adam, Suck it up, deal with it. Or saying, start talking to old Yeller for some stimulating conversation. He creates a suitable helper. And this is the point. This is the reason that we gather as a church. To gather together in the name of Christ and lift each other up and help each other out. This is exactly how the church got its beginning. Many people, they would, uh, the, uh, the early church, they would sell their possessions and they would give their money to the church so that the church could help each other out. Now, if you want to sell your car and give us the money, that's cool. But that's not the point. The point is we are gathering together as a church so we can tend to each other's needs so that when someone is going through hardship, we are helping each other. We are lifting each other. We are navigating life together. We are going through and helping someone move when they're being evicted. We're going through and helping them navigate a very nasty divorce. We're going through and supporting them every step of their life. This is why we gather as a church. You see, it's our faith that propels us to navigate life together. Withholding our faith from public display isolates us from seeking help and it prevents people from experiencing the restoring hope in Christ. Hear that again. Isolating ourselves, withholding our faith 
from public display isolates us from seeking help and it prevents people from experiencing the restoring hope in Christ. And this brings us to our third truth. My faith calls me to action. You see, faith is not a set of personal rules. It's not a code of conduct. It isn't silent. It's not passive or timid. Faith does not stand by and let someone dictate when it's appropriate to share. Rather, faith is the love of Christ put into action by His followers. James 2.14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I'll answer that question, no. Faith without deeds is dead. And we stand here among like-minded followers of Christ because someone in your life put their faith into action. And so it's time for us to put our faith into action. It's time to start believing that our faith means something to someone else. It's time to start sharing our faith like someone else's life depends on it. See, it's time for no more hiding. No more waiting. No more silence. It's time to stand up and say, the faith that I have in Christ can move mountains even if I have to grab a shovel and start digging. And I can, I can see this happening. You know, everyone's like, you know what? You're, that sounds great. This sounds really motivational. But I just don't know how to do this. That's for other people that are gifted at this. How do we even begin to do this? Well, uh, you can breathe a sigh of relief because I'm not asking you to share your salvation story with the cashier. I'm not asking you to step terribly far outside of your comfort zone. But a cup of coffee is a great way to start. Inviting someone out to have a drink with you for a cup of coffee, that's a great way to start. And you might be thinking, are you kidding me? You're expecting me to believe that works? Okay, if you don't like coffee, then invite them over for a board game. Or invite them over for dinner. Like, everybody likes dinner, right? We all got to eat at some point. But the point is to find something that both of you enjoy and enjoy it together. You see, let me illustrate how eager people are to not be alone. You see, when I was in high school, there was a sophomore, in my sophomore year of high school, the first day of a new school year, all right? I was sitting in math class and... Uh, my math teacher decides, you know what, we're going to do a group activity, which is, let me just address, is absurd. Why do you do group activities in math? I don't need anyone else to tell me five times five equals 30. I mean, come on. <laughs> but teacher decides, you know, now's an appropriate time. We're going to do an activity. And uh, so first day of school, I'm sitting down. I look at the kid next to me. We look each other in the eye and I say, you you're going to be my partner. 
little did I know what I was getting myself into, we're still friends to this day. We have the, you've probably seen those people that have a secret handshake. Yeah, we're one of those guys. We have a secret handshake and we still do it to this day. And if you ask me, what does it look like? I couldn't tell you. It's just in my muscle memory. But that's how close we are as friends. And that's how much people just don't want to navigate life alone. You see, God promises, promises us that people are ready, ready to hear his word, ready to navigate life together. John 4.35 says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Nobody wants to go through life alone. And when you are real with someone, they see it. No hidden agenda. We're not doing this to eventually tell them, run them through a step-by-step -step checklist on how to accept Christ. We're doing this to show them the love of Christ. Because this is what Jesus told us to do. When asked, what is the most important thing I should be doing? Jesus' response in Mark chapter 12 was this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. You see, it's our faith that compels us to tell everyone that God and Jesus love us. It's our faith that compels us to tell everyone that God and what God and Jesus did because you are so deeply loved. My faith is not a personal matter. My faith is a public display of God's love and mercy toward mankind. No more hiding, no more waiting, no more silence. It's time to show what God has done for us. Are you with me? And if you are, then let's do something about it. And perhaps you're at a point in your life where you're ready to tell the world, I am done hiding my faith. I am done being silent. I am ready to declare. Then let me tell you, you're in luck. You see, we are going to be doing a baptism service in the future. And if you are ready to declare to the world that I am a follower of Christ, I am unashamed, then this is the perfect opportunity to do so. And if you're sitting here and maybe you haven't quite accepted Christ yet, but you're tired of navigating life alone, you're tired of trying to figure out all of life's hardships by yourself, then let me tell you, the opportunity is here. We're going to be singing a song called Let It Echo. Let it echo. Let your faith echo.